Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Frankie Mazapika. The title of my message this morning is Patient Endurance Without Quitting. Patient Endurance Without Quitting. In the book of Revelation, there's a gentleman by the name of John. And he was actually in prison on the island of Patmos. And while he was in prison, supernaturally, Jesus brought him into his presence in the gates of heaven. And he was able to see what Jesus looks like right now. We've seen paintings of what he looked like while he was on earth, and they're probably somewhat accurate, some of them at least. We've read about what he looked like on earth. But in heaven, he's no longer a man. He is God. We have to remember that it was through Jesus that God created the earth. He is God. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, which was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus was with God, he is God, and the Father created the world through moving through Jesus. It's kind of like if you have a son or a daughter who's broke, my son, um, who's broke, and I give him money to go buy dinner. He goes and buys dinner with the money that I gave him. The Father moved through Jesus. It was God's power that Jesus used to create the world. And then he came and walked among us. But in Revelation, John was in the presence of Jesus. And he writes this in chapter 2. Because Jesus said this. He said, write a letter... To the angel of the church of Ephesus. And so John pulled out a pen or, or, and he began to write and he writes, this message is from the one and he writes what he sees. This message is from the one who is holding seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the golden Lampstands, the seven golden lampstands. And then he says this. Jesus says to John, tell them this. I know all the things that you do. I see how hard you work. I have seen your patient persistence or your endurance. I know that you do not tolerate evil people. You have examined people who call themselves apostles, but they're not. You have discovered they're liars. He goes on to say, you have 
suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint, the Lord says. It says, you do not love me or other people as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. And turn back to me and do the works you did at first. For if you do not repent, I will remove you. I will remove your lampstand. I will remove you from the churches. So let's unpack that over the next 20, 30 minutes. He he says this. He goes, I have seen how hard you work. Your patient persistence. You haven't quit. I've seen it. It's so interesting to me on how clearly we can tell someone's devotion towards the Lord when the storm comes. Anyone can stay faithful to God when the sun's out and the birds are chirping. But when the storm comes, that's when we find out how devoted we are to the Lord. The common denominator that we all have in this room is every one of us is in desperate need of a miracle. You are in desperate need of a miracle. I am in desperate need of a miracle. The miracle you need may be very different from the miracle that I need. But we all are in desperate need of a miracle. And in spite of being in desperate need, in spite of not knowing how God is going to provide, you're in church today. You've chosen to come today. You're an adult. You can do whatever you want. You chose to come today. And he says to you, the Bible says to you, I can see how persistent you are. See, when you're in the middle of a storm, you can't see very far. It's dark. It's raining. That's the nature of a storm. You can't see very far in spite of the fact that you can't see very far into your own future and it may cause severe anxiety. I know it does for me. When I can't see what's around the corner and I don't know how God's going to provide for me. It causes a degree, it provokes a degree of stress. He says, in spite of all that, you have not quit. And so about right now, give yourself an applause. Go ahead. This is for me. This is not... You have not quit. Some of you haven't been in church in a hundred years, but you're here today, so you haven't quit. You know, I, I used to run half marathons and then full marathons, and it's very interesting because at the end of a race, you can tell your splits is what they call them. 
How fast did you run mile three? How fast did you run mile 11? How fast did you run mile 26? Which is usually much slower but than the first mile. But people who are strong athletes, they have learned to do a negative split. In other words, the back half of the race is faster than the front half. But you can see each individual mile. If your past, if your past year, past few months, past couple years have been rough, you haven't been as faithful to God as what you would have liked to have been, or you haven't honored the Lord in how you talk or the way you've lived, I just want to let you know, it's only one lap. It's only one mile. When I look at the, or when I used to, I don't run anymore because I realized the dog wasn't chasing me, so why am I doing this? But when you look at 26.2 miles, mile 17 may have been a slow mile, but it was just a mile. You can make up for that. You still got 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Your past mile, your past year, your past week, it may have been a slower mile than what you would have liked, but it has nothing, very little consequence if you're devoted moving forward. It's like wind in your sails. He says, I have seen it. People who do not quit, they stay faithful. They experience a degree of his presence that other people do not. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, a gentleman in our church who's maybe late 60s. He said, Pastor, I've got open heart surgery. I went to go visit him. And when I walked into the hospital and I sat down into his room, he said, I'm nervous. It's different when someone who has silver in their hair says, I'm nervous. He said, I've had this surgery before and they have to keep me awake when they open up my chest and I can feel them touching my heart. And the last time I told the doctor, doc, you're hurting me. He goes, I'm nervous. I knew I couldn't unnerve him with some eloquent words. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll sleep here tonight and just keep you company. So I pulled up the chair and I think all hospitals in this country comb the earth. (laughs) Looking for the most uncomfortable chairs that you can find. They sit in it and go, no, I could, I could get comfortable in this chair. Get it out of here. They, they, they look for, they look for the most uncut. They may as well just get two boards and go bang, bang. There it is. And so I'm sitting in the chair and I'm trying to get comfortable in the middle of the night. I hear him talking and I think he's talking to me. And all of a sudden he goes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And I looked over at him and I saw he was having a moment with the Lord that was bringing him a tremendous amount of peace. And I was reminded at that moment that the years will teach what the days never will. 
And when you have walked with the Lord for year after year after year, and even if some of those years weren't your best years, you stayed with him, your mind's attention and your heart's affection stayed towards him. You staying with him causes, you causes a reaction. For you to experience his presence in a way that the quitters will never know of. So let's go to the next section. And then he says this, he goes, but you have not loved me or others as you did at first. You know, this day and age is an interesting day and age because every single one of us notice someone being offended all the time. I mean... If you, if you don't notice an offense, you slept through the day. I mean, it, people get offended if you look at them and then they get offended if you don't look at them. And so you gotta kinda look through them. It's, it, they get offended for anything. I wanna recommend a book. It's written by John Bevere. It's called The Bait of Satan. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It says this, that Offense is the bait of Satan. If he can get you to be offended, then you have taken the bait. Here's a few thoughts on offense. Number one, just because you're offended doesn't make you right. Here's another thought. No one can give you an offense. You can choose to take it. One more thought. When someone says out loud, I am offended. What they are saying is, I cannot control my own emotions. So I need you to watch what you say and watch what you do because you're in control of my emotions. Are you with me? Because if you're in control of your emotions and someone says something that is contrary to what you would say, contrary to what you believe, contrary to what you would do, You can back up and say, this is an awkward moment and move on. You don't have to burn the whole house down. You don't have to get on Facebook and talk about their mama. It was an awkward moment. Imagine that somebody disagrees with you. It's an awkward moment, but it's just A moment. Unless you want to make it more than that. Are you with me? Say yes. Yes. Let me hear you. Are you with me? Say yes. yes. This is what Jesus was saying. He said, look. You, you used to love me and other people. See, loving other people and loving him is of equal importance. Equal, equal importance. If you say, Frankie, I love you, but I can't stand your daughter. We got a problem. You're super cool, but your son, dingbat. We got a problem. 
I don't really care how much you love me. We have a problem. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. He said, the greatest commandment is to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and of equal importance to love your neighbor as yourself. One smart aleck in the crowd said, who's my neighbor? (laughs) Because I ain't trying to be nice to somebody that I don't need to be nice to. Christians have a cool little line that's 100% false. It sounds good, but it's false. I might like you. Uh, No, how's it go? Uh, I love you, but I don't like you. We'll say, what? What what, what you mean? I love you, but I don't like you. Jesus said this, of equal importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the the guy raised his hand and said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus looked at him and he thought of the person that that guy would hate the most. And he goes, that guy's your neighbor. The person who makes your skin crawl the most is your neighbor. The person that really drives you crazy, the sound of their voice makes you want to go jump off a bridge. That's your neighbor. He said, look, when we first started walking together, you loved me in a tender way. You loved each other. But now something's happened. You know, offense has everything to do with the story that we tell ourselves. I heard a lady uh, talk about this. No, I didn't hear about it. It was a story. I didn't hear her directly. A friend of mine told me about what she said. Um, I, I, and, and she said this. She goes, I, I learned the value of storytelling at an a- adult age. She said, I was... I remember being a small girl in the truck with my dad. And we were going down the road. And he was in a rush. He was in a rush because he was running late. And I was hungry. And so he looked at me and he says, I'll stop at the gas station and get you a snack to hold you over until we get something to eat. And he went into the gas station and he grabbed some Skittles. And he came out and he handed them to me and he got back in the truck and cruised right back down the road again. And I grabbed the Skittles and she said, I think I was eight or nine years old. And she thought, Daddy, you know I hate hard candy. I love chocolate. How can you love me and be my daddy if you don't know that? And as she grew, she realized the story she was telling herself was causing damage between her and her dad. And so she decided to tell herself a different story. It sounds like this. I was going down the road with my dad. He was driving a truck and we were in a big rush. I was sitting in the passenger seat. I was seven, eight, nine years old. I can barely remember and I was so hungry. And my dad saw that I was hungry and his heart went out to me and he felt bad that his daughter was hungry. But he didn't have time to stop. And so he said, hey, I'll pull over at the gas station to get you a snack to hold you over before we eat. 
So he ran into the gas station and he was rushing so bad because he knew how hungry I was that he just grabbed some Skittles and ran back and he was in such a rush to help me stop being hungry to feed me that he forgot that I like chocolate. Oh, my dad loves me so much. He was in such a rush to take care of me. He forgot I like chocolate. Same scenario, two completely different stories. As we live our life, we have to beware of how the enemy is a liar and the father of lies. In John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus said this, When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He is a liar and the father of lies. And, and here's the thing about the devil. He, he never takes no for an answer. When you say no, I don't uh, He comes right back like, a, like an annoying chihuahua. I'm sorry if you love chihuahuas. It's just an illustration. But their eyes do look like they're going to fall out of their head. If we, if we all want to be honest, it looks like at any minute. Okay, you guys got me. It's an annoying chihuahua. He'll come back and lie to you and try to tell you a story that causes an offense. And then Jesus backs up and he closes out the letter to the church of Ephesus with this. He says this, I want you to go back and do the works that you did at first. See, works do not earn you salvation. They just tell others that you're saved. It doesn't earn you salvation. It's proof of your salvation. I have a wedding ring on this morning. I can be unmarried and put the wedding ring on. The wedding ring doesn't marry me to my wife. The, the act, the work does not marry me to my wife. It is a sign to you that I'm married. It doesn't marry me. It shows you. It is proof. It is a witness of my decision. It didn't make my decision. It's a witness of my decision. And Jesus said, what happened to your works? You used to live your life in such a way where everyone knew, everyone knew about our relationship. Everyone knew and and it was your testimony. And your testimony is what drew others to me. And now those works are gone. Will you go back and do the works that you did at first? Let me share with you a piece of God's plan for your life. A peace. See, we often say, God move, God move. I've said it a million times. God move. God move in our church. God move in our family. God move with my neighbor who I have to love. God move, God move, God move. William Booth said these words. He said, I don't ask God to move because I am. Go ahead and put that screen back up there. I am not waiting for a move of God. I 
am the move of God. I am. But what, what is he saying there? Is he calling himself God? No, 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 no. Slow down. What is he? He is acknowledging that when God moves, he often moves through him. And he has a relationship with God that when he shows up, he expects God to move because he is there. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. My my brother went uh, to another country. I forgot the name of the country. And uh, it was with an organization that digs water wells. And they had no clean water. And so they dug a water well. And when the water came out and started gushing all over the place, the people in the village started crying. They started crying and they said... We have been praying for water. And my brother got on the phone with me and he said, it's the craziest thing, Frankie. He goes, actually, he said it like this. It's a weird feeling knowing that I am the answer to their prayer. When he showed up, the answer to their prayer happened. That's what William Booth is saying. I don't ask for God to move. I get alone with God and spend time with God so that when I show up, I see God move. You say, is that scriptural? I'm so glad you asked. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9, it says that you have been invited into a partnership with Jesus Christ. When you walk into a room, you are in cadence with him. You have spent time with him. You keep talking to him. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, don't ever stop praying. So you're talking to him all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. In your head, in your heart. Sometimes it'd be incredibly awkward if you were sitting in a meeting and you were like, I love you, Jesus. That'd be really awkward. But you're saying it in your head. You're saying it in your heart. You're constantly talking to him. So when you show up, God moves. When you show up. Let me just share one more thought. You can worship the Lord in heaven. You can serve God in heaven. He has not kept you on this earth so that you can make more money, get a bigger house, buy a boat. He has not kept you here. He has kept you here because he wants to partner with you. That's why you're here. Let me show a testimony of how God moved in a particular situation. Take a look at this. So I had an incident at work and um, was attacked literally, and um, fractured my wrist. So I went to um, urgent care, and they did x-rays, came back, it was fractured. Um, so uh, they put a brace on it. So I wasn't going to come last night to worship because I was exhausted and just wasn't feeling it. But then I came, and so thankful I did um, because I got my healing. Uh, Pastor Frankie asked for anyone that needed a healing to come to the front. And so I did, and he prayed over my wrist and um, asked me 
or told me to squeeze his hand if I felt anything. And then the first word out of his mouth was Jesus, and I squeezed. And he was like, what are you feeling? And I said, a tingling. And he said, oh, you're being healed. And so he kept praying. And um, so then I just kept squeezing harder and harder. And he was like, hey, what do you feel now? And I said, I don't feel nothing. And he said, you don't. You know, what do you mean? And I said, I feel no pain. And he said, well, can you move your wrist? And so I took the brace off and was just twirling. He said, but I feel that you need to be he- you need to be healed for depression and anxiety, which that totally blew me away because I didn't even mention that. And I've dealt with anxiety and depression for many years. And so that is completely gone, which, I mean, I'm nervous, but normally my anxiety would be through the roof. So... I'm so blessed and thankful that I that I went last night and those chains have been taken off and I feel like I've lost like 20 pounds. <laughs> you know, if you've been coming to church here over the last three years, you have seen that on 98% of the Sundays we show a video of somebody who was healed for the last three years. If this is your first time here and you come for six months, this is day one, six months, you will see us play a video of someone being healed. Every single Sunday people get healed cancer I think the 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 deaf ears is like if you were to tally them deaf ears opening is is the number one miracle that we have seen the most I feel like the Lord wants to open up a deaf ear today as a matter of fact I well I'll get to that in a minute Raise your hand if you have a deaf ear in this room, at least one. One, two. Anyone else? You say, well, what, what, what happened that your, the church is 15, I don't even know how old we are, 16? 16? 16 years old. And all of a sudden, just like that, over the last three years, people start getting healed. There's a long story behind it. But at the end of the story, I'm still going to say, I'm not exactly sure what happened. But we are enjoying it. We are enjoying it. I expect more healings. I expect greater healings. Every single Tuesday night, I'm in this sanctuary with many of you at 7 o'clock, and we're worshiping God, praying. It's a prayer meeting. There's no band or anything. It's a prayer meeting. The crowd keeps getting bigger and bigger. Every single great move of God in the history of the church started off with a nucleus, a remnant of people praying That's what we're seeing on Tuesday nights. You're welcome to come. So I only anticipate greater miracles. 
I only anticipate more of God's presence. But that's in the future. Let's talk about today. Everybody stand to your feet for me, please. If you raise your hand because you're deaf in one of your ears or you're experiencing a loss of hearing, I just want you to come right down here. I'm going to pray for you. Just come right down here. I'd like our prayer partners to come down if they would all throughout the room. Most of the healings, most of the miracles that take place at our church, I hear about them later because they took place with a prayer partner. And so if you need a healing in your body, I want you to come down. Go ahead, pray with them. I want you to come out of your seat and take the hand of a prayer partner. Where's Pastor Dwayne at? Would you scoot all of them down for me? I want you to come down and pray with a prayer partner. More importantly than people that need to be healed physically is the question, if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If you are not 100% sure, I want you to come down here and take the hand of a prayer partner and just say, I need to get my life right with God. The Bible says that if you're ashamed of him in front of people, he will be ashamed of you in front of the Father. So don't hesitate. Come down here and pray. All the ushers in the room, we're going to need your help because when people come down to pray, they need your help to find an available prayer partner. And so, ushers, if you can come down right now, we'd all appreciate it. Thank you so much. So I talked about us all needing a miracle. Maybe for some of you it's financial. A financial burden is one of those burdens you really never stop thinking about. It's always on your mind. And that's not how the Lord wants you to live. Whatever the need is, whatever you desire, I want you to come out of your seat and take the hand of a prayer partner. Let them pray with you. But those of you that are in your seat, let's worship the Lord at least one or two times through before anyone goes home. Is that okay? If you feel comfortable with it, just raise your hands. Doesn't matter how high you raise them. I usually raise them about this high, but you do whatever you want. It's a sign of surrender. That's all it is. And let's just worship him one or two times through this song. And then there's open dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. I love you all. I'll see you Tuesday or I'll see you on Sunday. I love you.